We're in James chapter 5, first half dozen verses there will be our text for this morning. But hear first the word of the Lord. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The prophets in Israel for several hundred years would preach to God's people in various settings. In the great convocations, they would preach often in the temple. They would preach at the shrines. They would gather meetings here and there. Sometimes they would just hole up in their homes and people would come to hear them there and they would seek the Lord and the preachers would preach. But ever so often, most of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, of course, uh, Hosea, Amos, Several of the prophets in the Old Testament would just go off on the neighboring nations, not preaching to Israel, God's people directly, but instead would preach to the nations round about. Egypt, Syria, Ammon, Moab, Tyre, and Sidon, Assyria, those great nations all around Israel would receive from the prophets scathing denunciations. The prophets would cry out against their wickedness and their sin, and they would, they would uh, point out the specific things that these particular nations had done to Israel throughout the history. The audience, by and large, were God's people. But the object of the preaching was always these alien nations, these pagan nations, these godless nations round about. And I think more than likely that's what James is doing here. We saw last week that he preached pretty sternly to God's people, calling for repentance and calling us to take an account of our lives, asking us, what is your life? Asking us penetrating questions and warning us and calling us to repentance. I think it could be that this is addressed to the same audience, but as we've pointed many times in the text of James, we seem to have segments and short uh, sermon synopses and texts rather than one long lengthy argumentation like you'll find in the letters of Paul so often. And I think that's what we have here. I think we have the synopsis of James preaching to unbelievers, the unbelievers around about the church. In other words, the unbelievers there, principally in Jerusalem, where the early church was, where James functioned as their bishop. He would preach to those unbelievers, 
that were in the area. And he would pronounce the judgments of God upon them. And that's what you have here, I think. You see James bringing a tone of prophetic denunciation upon the people right there in Jerusalem. And he addresses them in the same language that he said, come now, you merchants who presume upon God's grace and go into all the world and, and set up shop and say you're going to trade and make profit. He called their attention to the fact that any day they could be called to account for the lives they were living. Now he speaks to the rich and he uses the same language. He says, come now. This is the language of the diatribe and the dialogue that he's calling for. And here in this particular passage, he's preaching to these men who had accumulated vast amounts of land in all sorts of ways, defrauding and deceiving, taking the inheritance of widows and orphans, and had accumulated large land holdings, especially those that required the use of servants and who worked for wages in the vineyards and in the fields and the orchards that they had. And this was a very corrupt class, a very selfish class, and a very wealthy class, class of people. These were the ones that were usually in cooperation with the Roman government at that time. These were the ones that, that even though they were Jewish people and they were good upstanding citizens and several of them, no doubt, a large number sat on the various councils, including the Supreme Council, which was the Sanhedrin. They were noted for their wealth, their opulence, the splendor of their lifestyle and their corruption. And that's who he's addressing. And here's the problems that he has with these people. You say, Ron, I'm relieved this morning because you're not going to be preaching to me. Because <laughs> you said you're not preaching to believers necessarily, and neither you're preaching to the opulently wicked well, uh, rich. So that's not me. I'm not in either category. So I think I'll just relax. Well, this is for your admonition. And here's the grievance that James has against this rich class of people. And it's the same grievance that the prophets had over and over in the prophets. It goes back to the law of Moses, as we'll see in just a moment. And it was often on the lips of Jesus himself, this condemnation of this class of citizen. And here's the problems he had. Number one, they hoarded their wealth. Their wealth would be accumulated, but then it would be just in the accumulation of it. They would, as we saw in the parable of Jesus last week, they would tear down their barns and build bigger ones to hold their crops. They would have enormous closets filled with splendid fabric and apparel. And they would have gold and silver and precious stones that they had, they had hoarded and collected. And so he says to them that the miseries are going to come upon you. And the overarching 
warning of this passage is the judgment, the final judgment, the day when the fortunes of mankind are reversed, just like we see in the parable of Jesus between Lazarus, the poor beggar, and the rich man. You remember? Abraham finally addresses in that parable, he addresses them and says, you divees, you rich man, enjoyed on earth during your lifetime opulent splendor. You dined on sumptuous fare. And Lazarus had nothing. And now in paradise, with the great gulf fixed between the two, there's a reversal. And now the rich man is in the ultimate misery, the torments of hell, and begging for just a drop of water to soothe his scorched tongue. And Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, in the paradise and the splendor and the joys and the comfort of eternal life in Jesus Christ as Lord for all eternity in heaven, in paradise. What a reversal of fortunes. What a difference in destiny. And that's what James is warning about. It says, ultimately, if you think about it, your crops are going to rot in the field. The moths are going to get into that closet and devour all of the fabric, all the, the fine clothing. And even, he puts a, a hyperbole upon it, even your gold and silver will corrode and be corrupted. Even what we think of as imperishable metal will become nothing, worthless, corroded in that day because you've hoarded You've taken your wealth and you've put it to no use except for yourself. The second complaint he has against them is that they have said you've laid up treasures. The second uh, uh, complaint he has against them is in verse 4. Behold the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields you have kept back by fraud. This is very specific in the Old Testament. Let me just read one passage. There's two or three there, and I, I read them all, and I think this one probably is the most uh, comprehensive. Deuteronomy 24. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in the land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. That was the sin of the rich. They would delay, and by delaying, they would effectively deny the wages to the laborers. The laborers were day workers. They would go into the field in the morning and they would labor all day long, whether tilling the soil or finally cultivating and then harvesting. And they would work and they needed that daily wage 
to be able to sustain themselves. And to de delay that or to deny that and to defraud them of those wages was considered a grave sin in the eyes of God. Many of the prophets, if we were, could study exhaustively this theme, we would see many of the prophets over and over and over in the Old Testament would say, you have a responsibility to those who work. The servant is worthy of his hire. You do not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn because these people are subsistence in their survival. They have to have daily wages and to sleep on their wages is to in effect starve them overnight. Murder them is the way James puts it here in his strong language. He says, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And that's what we read back in Deuteronomy. The only thing these people can do is cry out to the Lord because of the abuse and the oppression that you've put upon them. All they can do is cry to the Lord and the ears of the Lord are tuned to hear those cries. And God himself will have a reckoning, just like those that have hoarded will find a reversal of fortunes in eternity. The Lord will wreak judgment upon those who have oppressed and defrauded the wage earners. And it's interesting, he uses the term here, the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord, Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. The, the Old Testament speaks of God being not just himself, which is enough, but he has with him gathered an enforcement group. And it is the armies of the Lord. And this is depicted all through scripture as the great day of judgment. In fact, the Bible in the New Testament even talks about the day that when Christ will return, he will come with thousands and thousands of his hosts to enforce the vengeance and the justice and the righteousness upon the earth. And so James gives them fair warning that there is a judgment coming. The greed, the avarice, the rapacity of the people that are abusing these poor people has come before the eyes of the Lord. And it will be a judgment. He said there in the passage says, your gold and your silver have corroded and they will be evidence against you. The very thing you're storing up will be the evidence at the judgment against you. You're preserving the evidence. <laughs> Paul speaks of this when he talks about storing up wrath for the day of judgment in Romans. And that's what's happening. You're living your life and you're living it like that. And the very things you've accumulated become a body of evidence that convicts you on the judgment day. And their way of accumulating this wealth through defrauding is judgment. The third thing that he has against them, not only do they hoard it up, not only have they gotten it by defrauding, but the third thing is, it says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. 
It's not just that they've hoarded it. It's not just that they defrauded in order to get it. But now what are they doing? What kind of use are they putting to the wealth? Well, they're just living the life of luxury, like the rich man that Jesus describes, dines on sumptuous fare, lives a life of luxury and self-indulgence, a life of ease. One more garment, one more barn, one more house, yet another car, yet a yacht, and beyond and beyond and beyond. They die, they gather it and they just enjoy it. The prophet called them the fat cows of Bashan. And all that's happening when that's going on is you're getting soft and fat. Opulent and luxurious living just makes you softer and fatter. And you are, as he said, like the fatted calf. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Notice the terms, burning the flesh, the Lord of hosts coming in judgment, a day of slaughter. This is, this is good preaching. <laughs> this is strong preaching. This is vivid. This, you, how do you escape this? If this won't speak to your conscience, what will? How can there be a more fair warning of the judgment that is to come? Except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus says. And the fourth thing that he has against them is found there in the very last verse, verse six. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. In other words, you've taken all of the power and the leverage that you have with your wealth. And that has increased your power and your leverage and your dominion, and you oppress, and you oppress, and you oppress all the way even to death. And the innocent that suffer under this have not resisted you. They've not had the power to fight back. And so you have really taken advantage of the innocent and the helpless and the weak. It's one thing to punch somebody in the nose in a fight. <laughs> it's another thing to kick them when they're down. And so there's no restraint, no conscience. They don't stop until they've pushed them to the last place, cornered them, trapped them, fleeced them, abused them in every way and taken them to their death in poverty. Listen to, you say, Ron, you sure do talk about the Old Testament a lot. Well, let me give you a New Testament passage that might be informative. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 18, verse 11 and following. And here the great vision is the end times. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys her cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple, cloth, silk, scarlet, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, 
horses and chariots. There's your commodities market. (laughs) Everything you can possibly think of. And notice the last thing he mentions, and slaves. That is human souls. There's a fine line between slavery and paying subsistence wages. And I'm not sure the Lord sees that fine line when it comes time for judgment. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. There was a covetousness. There was a greed. There was an avarice. There was a longing of the soul to get this stuff, to accumulate it, to pile it up, to use it, to get more of it and get more still. The thing that obsessed your soul the whole time was the accumulation of wealth in your lifetime on earth. That's all you cared about. And now it has gone from you. You've heard the little expression, you've never seen a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse. That's because you can't take it with you. And you can't. Everything you have is earthbound and earthly and it will not endure into eternity. That's why the Lord says right off the bat to lay up treasures in heaven. And listen to the rest of this passage as it talks about these rich people. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you and all your delicacies, all your splendor are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who have gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of torment weeping and mourning. You remember how he started this passage? He says, come you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. And here's a description in the apocalypse of that moment when the judgment falls on the rich who have hoarded, who've gotten ill gain and who have oppressed the workers in doing it. The merchants of these wares who have gained wealth from her will fall, will stand far off in fear of torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. You know what you think about wealth. What does the Lord think about it? Well, hear the admonition to the believer. And it's stated so beautifully by the Apostle Paul on this same subject. Hear what he says in his pastoral letter to Timothy. Telling Timothy how to preach. (laughs) Telling Timothy when to preach. In season and out of season, by the way, all the time. And then he tells him what to preach. And here's one of the subjects that needs to be part of your sermons, Timothy. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. By the way, that's a quotation from Job. Job said this when all the misfortunes befell him there in chapter one. But if we have food and clothing with these, we should be content. That's a quotation of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Notice the outcome of this this mindset. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving. See, it's the, it's the envying, it's the, it, it's the lust and the craving and the desire that, that, that causes this. Some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. Remember, Jesus said it's just harder, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, whatever that means. You sort of get the picture, don't you? Than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And it's not because it's impossible. All things are possible with God, Jesus says, in the next breath. But it's because it's the riches are so deceptive when it comes to our eternal soul. We are so dazzled by the wealth of this world and the lifestyle of this world that we just lose all perspective about heaven. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These other things are added into it. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which it makes you the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. As for the rich in this present age, I charge them not to be haughty, now, there are rich believers, very. In fact, the story in Acts is a, a story of believers, people who came to know the Lord, who were obviously rich. And they gave their goods in the early church there to sustain the church as it went along. Charged them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the certainty of riches, but of God who provides richly everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. There's where your storage bin should be. There's where your barns should be, is treasures in heaven. Invest in things that have to do with eternal life, things that have to do with Christian faith, things that have to do with ministry thus storing up treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And that's the burden. The Lord wants us to enjoy life and not death. And death and destruction comes upon thus that those that are completely obsessed and are willing to give over their character to the pursuit, the accumulation of wealth at any cost. Now there's one more little thing before I'm done. And I just can't resist. It's a verse that just, I'd never seen this before until I was looking this over this week to study for this message. And it just hit me. And then as I read a few commentaries, I found out that this idea had occurred to others as well. It wasn't novel with me. I try not to ever preach anything brand new. If I preach something brand new, y'all throw me out of this pulpit because there's no novelty in Christian theology. It, it, the preacher's not to preach out of his own heart and his own mind. He's to preach out of the Word of God. But listen to this little verse. Verse 6. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. Who is the righteous person? Jesus Christ. And who's James talking to? The very splendid rich of Jerusalem that had just a few years earlier condemned Jesus. and crucified him and judged him. And this is what have you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He was preaching to the same Sanhedrin, the same group of people, the same leaders in Israel. 
These were the ones that finally got around after they had crucified Christ to stoning Stephen. Before long, they threw James off the pinnacle of the temple. There were martyrs in the Christian faith and the people that had, that had legally and actually caused these murders were these very wealthy rulers in Jerusalem. And James says, you have condemned and you have murdered, crucified the righteous one. And he did not resist you as a lamb before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He stood there bound and condemned and never said a word, but willingly and freely took upon himself the sins of you, my sins, the sins of the world upon himself and died in our place. The ultimate poverty 